good to be here because I feel like I'm in my home church. It just has that wonderful, wonderful, warm, I'll say Holy Spirit feeling here. And I know that God's doing a great thing here among you, and it's so obvious. And uh, wow, may God continue to bless you as you let him do what he wants to do in you so he can do what he wants to do through you. Uh, I so appreciate your pastor, Pastor Darren. Uh, In November this past year, I was uh, affirmed by the Board of Overseers in our movement of churches, Converge Worldwide, and Darren was a part of that. And after they all laid hands on my wife Susan and myself, your pastor was the first one to come up to me right after that and said, you need to come to Heartland. And so you're the first church I've been invited to. Now, I've been to others, but I was the first, this is the first one I was invited to. So, yes, I love it. I love it. Now, I also just want to say this quickly. You're, you have a great pastor, and I mean that. I'm not just blowing smoke. I mean it. You have a great pastor, and he is recognized in our our movement of 1,200 churches as, as one of the guys. And uh, I just want you to just see that from other perspectives, that the leaders in Converge Worldwide, other pastors in Converge Worldwide, see what Pastor Darren is doing, his leadership, and we admire this man. So um, God bless you, Pastor Darren, as you continue to lead. Tremendous. Uh, I always take my wife Susan with me. She is not with me today. Uh, Yesterday when I got on the plane, she had the flu, and she was so bummed. She really wanted to be here. But I have a a picture of just a snapshot that was recently taken. My wife is the one whose head is just peeping in the bottom of the picture. But uh, that's my wife Susan, and she is definitely my better half. This is just a recent snapshot just a, um, a week or so ago. Um, I'll quickly introduce at least some of my family. Our 17-year-old Shane is in the middle. He's a junior in high school. He moved to Orlando with us in January and is doing great. He's a sold-out Christ follower. It's incredible the impact he's making in his high school already. The uh, one on the left is Eric. He's 23. He has been a soldier in Kuwait for the past nine months and just returned. So he came down to Florida to to visit it. It's kind of weird because we moved while he was gone. When he left, we had no idea we'd be moving. So it was strange for him to come home and be homeless. And uh, so that's been an interesting dynamic. And then we also have a daughter who's 25, married and living in Rochester, Minnesota. So that's, that's enough about my, my family for now. Uh, I am so honored to, uh, to have Mao and Phoenix here. They are going to the Hui people in China, which uh, really is a group of Muslim Chinese people. And uh, they, there are very few um, people who are bringing the gospel to these people. Uh, 12.6 million Hui live in China. And God has placed uh, a burden on Mao and Phoenix, and, uh, and, and they, are, they are going for it. And these, this is a rare couple. God has placed a clear call on their life, and they are sacrificing so much, and they are stepping into dangerous territory to bring the gospel to these people. And so I just want to introduce you quickly to this rare couple, uh, Mao and Phoenix. Would you just stand, and uh, we honor you. I hope you get a chance to meet them, because uh, they are pretty special people. And thank you again so much for your financial support, for your encouragement, for your prayer support, 
in all these different ways. So thank you so much. I, I want to just talk with you this morning about uh, being gripped and gritty. That may seem like kind of a weird title. When I came up with that, I thought, yeah, that is kind of weird, but it's really what I want to talk about. So we'll just go with it. How does that sound? I hear you just go with things here at Heartland. So, um, When Jesus talked about us being his disciples, he used hard words. He used words like follow, die, lose, serve, danger, give, selfless. Sometimes in our American culture, we kind of get things flipped around and we can start thinking about self, about living life to the fullest in our American version of that, about gaining, about control, uh, about safety, and about keeping. For many years, I've wanted to go to India, and two years ago, I went to India for the first time and actually went to some very remote regions in, in India to see how my church in Minnesota could be a part of reaching some unreached people groups in that part of the world. And while I was there, I just loved meeting the people, met so many amazing people, met people who were sacrificing their lives for the cause of Christ. I had the great opportunity of uh, addressing a crowd of 25,000 believers. Uh, two times I was able to address them. It was one of the most inspiring experiences I ever had to see these Indian people worshiping God with all of their hearts. I was blessed to be able to meet so many individual Indian people and pray for them and, and in their suffering and in their need. And uh, it was amazing. After two and a half trips of being in, uh, two and a half weeks of being in India, uh, our lot, last stop was Kolkata. This, of course, is a place where Mother Teresa did her work. And uh, this was our last night in India. And so the person who arranged our trip uh, arranged a very nice hotel on the last night in India. Now, we had some amazing place. In fact, I came out of India with bed bug bites all over my body uh, because we didn't stay in nice hotels. But that last night... They had a very nice hotel, very, very nice. And on the way to this hotel, we went past these garbage villages, these rubbish heaps where people lived, and literally uh, people who were like skeletons were walking through them, infested with disease and hunger, and you just saw hopelessness in their faces. And uh, every day was a matter of survival, and it, it just broke my heart. Then we got into this lavish, luxurious hotel, and uh, it felt a little strange. I got to my room, and I opened up the curtains, and as I looked out the curtains from my hotel room, there was a wall uh, around the compound of the hotel, and just on the other side of the wall was another one of these garbage villages. And it just broke my heart to see the children and the people moving around in these garbage villages, trying to find something to eat, just sitting there in despair. And I looked at that, and then I would turn around and look at this amazing, luxurious room. For some reason, I have never enjoyed such a beautiful place so little as that hotel. Because uh, I looked down into the devastation below and the hopelessness below, 
and then would turn around and see this beautiful room I was living in, and the hotel had tables filled with the most amazing food of every sort. It was my little bubble. It was my little bubble, and it was uh, sort of easy for me to look out of my bubble into another place, and it would have been very easy for me to turn around and forget about what I had just seen. At least this is the way that sometimes we can live if we're not careful, even as American Christians. We can see a need here or see a need there, see the suffering, see the despair, see the hopelessness of people in another place, and maybe because we don't live there or maybe because they're far away, we think, you know what, it's really not my problem. And so we turn around into our um, bubble of luxury or ease or the life as we know it and we kind of forget sometimes what we have seen. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was a poignant moment for me in that hotel room in Calcutta. It changed me in some ways and uh, I realized how e easy it is to, to see but not really to let it burst my bubble. Um, we have a, an amazing missionary couple in Nigeria. They are one of our champion missionaries. You have a champion pastor. This is a champion uh, missionary couple. They're on the Mambila Plateau. They're working with HIV AIDS there. They've been there eight years. Eight years ago, this couple had a call from God to go and do this. And... Uh, they were with another movement of churches, and that group of churches didn't feel like um, they could really succeed in what they wanted to do, and so they would not send them. They came to Converge Worldwide. We looked at their dream of what they wanted to do for these suffering people in Nigeria and uh, took them on. In eight years, they have revolutionized the Mambila Plateau, a place of about a million people. Uh, today, after eight years, they have 3,000 children in foster, uh, 3,000 orphans. They're just running the streets, hiding in homes. 3,000 orphans now in Christian foster parent homes. They treat between 30 and 40,000 people uh, either to test or to treat with drugs uh, for the HIV AIDS virus every year. And with each one, they have a one-to-one -one presentation of the gospel. In just the last 10 months, they have planted 20 churches with over 700 baptisms to an unreached people group in that area. And this all happened, this all happened at an age when most people plan on retiring. They are now 70 years old. They went to Nigeria when they were 62. Isn't that amazing? Now, this is a dangerous place they went to as well. Very dicey, very difficult. This is a couple that I call gripped and gritty. They were willing to do something wild and crazy for God, no matter what it cost them, no matter how difficult it was. They felt God's call, his grip on their life, and they were going to be gritty to do something significant for God. You know, there are lots of Things changing in our world, but one thing will never change, 
that God is constantly looking for people just like you and me who are willing to be gripped and gritty for God. He is looking for you. He is looking for me to get serious about this great, great clarion call that Jesus had when he said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have taught you. He wants us to be gritty about this. He wants our lives to be about this. This is the last thing that Jesus told us to do before he left. You know, someone asked me once, why, uh, when we accept Christ, doesn't he just take us home? Why, Why don't we just go to heaven right then? Well, the answer is obvious because he still has something for us to do. What does he have for us to do? He, ha- he has this for us to do, to be a part of helping to bring the gospel to every living human being who has never heard the gospel. That's what he has for us to do, and somehow we need to be a part of it. Many of us are senders, and some of us here maybe need to be sent. You are sent into this community, and you're doing a great job. Keep doing it. Some of us here maybe are being called by God to go somewhere else. You are sending your fellow uh, family members here into this community. Keep sending. But also continue to keep sending people to other parts of the world in vital ways, in personal ways. I want us to look at Nehemiah chapter 1 because it's a great uh, example of a man who was gripped and gritty and it gives us a few insights into what it takes to be gripped and gritty for God. Now, Nehemiah was a great leader, of course. He was an amazing leader. And uh, in Nehemiah chapter 1, we see him in the lap of luxury. Just before I read this, recognize that Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king. Now, the cupbearer was in a very unique situation. He was uh, in close proximity to the king every day. Uh, He was... Uh, a confidant to the king. Now often in that uh, time in history, if a king was poisoned, it usually came through his food or through his wine. And so the people who worked in the kitchen and the people who took care of the wine were uh, pretty important people. And they needed to be supremely trusted. And this was the place that Nehemiah was in. He was the cupbearer of the king. And so he had the ear of the king And the king had Nehemiah's ear. And uh, the king trusted Nehemiah uh, with his life. Nehemiah lived in the lap of luxury. He had a pretty nice bubble for that era of history. You know what I mean? He had a pretty nice bubble. It says in Nehemiah 1 verse 1, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity, and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Now, I want us to just pause there. I'm going to make two observations from Nehemiah, and we'll just kind of unpack that as, as we go. Here's the, here's the first observation. 
Nehemiah refused to live in a bubble. Nehemiah, as we've already seen, had a pretty nice bubble, but he refused to live in it. Now, of course, as we know um, by reading the rest of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was an incredibly godly man. He had a heart that was yielded to God. Uh, He was um, sensitive to God's voice and to God's leading. But in large part, it was because Nehemiah refused to live in a bubble. In Nehemiah 1 verse 2, it says that he asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. This was over a thousand miles away. Now, of course, in that time, that was more than just a two-hour flight away. This was half a world away. And yet, even though they were far away, Nehemiah refused to forget about them. He refused to live in his little haven of safety and comfort and ease. He asked about the Jews. Have you ever asked someone, how are you doing? And then they start telling you, and you wish you wouldn't have asked? I had someone once, I, I, actually I, I eavesdropped on a conversation. Someone said, hey, how you doing? And the guy actually started telling him. And, and after about a minute, the guy said, you know what? I really didn't mean I wanted you to tell me. I was just kind of using the greeting. You know, sometimes we may ask, but we're not sure we really want to hear. You know, sometimes we may ask God, show me what you want for me, but we're, we really don't mean it, okay? So mean it. If you're going to ask God, you mean it. Well, and in this case, Nehemiah asked his, his brothers, uh, how are the people in Jerusalem? I really want to know. And he listened with interest in that. So he uh, asked honestly, he listened with intense, intensity, and he wrestled with reality. Here's what I love about verse 4. Look at this. Now it came about when I heard these words, Nehemiah writes, I sat down and wept and mourned for days And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Wow. I'm trying to think of when the last time something hit me like that. Now, obviously, that doesn't happen every day, but has it happened? Has that happened to you? Where where you, you, that you seek, you seek the truth. You seek the truth from God. Or let's say that you really want to know the truth about the condition of people somewhere else in the world, and when you hear it, your heart is broken to such a degree that you begin fasting and praying and seeking God. Your your spirit is broken. There's something that's crumbling inside of you until God, God can fix it. You see, Nehemiah was was gripped. Here's what I find interesting here is that he didn't just... uh, ask, and he just didn't listen with interest, he then actually paused his life enough to wrestle with reality. I think sometimes we can be so busy running through life that we hear something and it it actually affects us, but we don't take the time to really wrestle with the the reality of the situation, so we, we soon move on. We've got other places to go and other things to do and new things to hear. I want to encourage you to slow down enough that you can wrestle with 
the reality that God delivers to you. This is what happened with Nehemiah. He refused to live in a bubble. He was gripped by the very same things that grip God's heart. Now when I think about being gripped, I think of when I was a little boy growing up uh, on a farm in southwestern Minnesota, and every Sunday we'd, we'd go to church, my brothers and I, there were a whole bunch of us, my dad had these massive hands. I grew up on a dairy farm. I've milked a lot of cows. And my dad had really big hands and really big fingers because he grew up milking cows. And no kidding, his little finger is still, to this day, bigger than my thumb. He had these massive hands. And when we'd get squirrely in church, his big hand would reach across my other brothers and he'd, he'd grip me. He'd grip me right on the leg, and then he'd start squeezing. <laughs> Talk about a grip. You know, it was like, oh, and sometimes tears would come to our eyes, depend how angry our dad was at us. And then finally, when he knew we got the message, he would release his grip. When we were in his grip, there was nothing we could do about it. When we're in God's good grip, not one that is meant to chastise us, but one that is meant to give us life when he's gripped us. There's really nothing else we can do but follow hard after God. So Nehemiah was gripped by the same things that grip God's heart. Broken people lost lives, and Nehemiah was gripped by that. Here's a second observation. Nehemiah was relentless to do something for God. Relentless. Have you ever seen the movie True Grit? How many of you have seen the movie True Grit? Yes? Four of you. Okay. How many of you have seen the John Wayne version of True Grit? Okay, more of you have seen True Grit now that John Wayne's involved. That's good. Okay, so uh, here's what's interesting about that movie. When you see all the, the promo stuff, they always show the John Wayne character. He's supposedly the person with true grit. He's not the person with true grit in that movie. That's not what that's named after. It's named after the orphan girl whose father was killed by another man, and she was relentless, right? Those of you who have seen she was relentless to find the person who killed her father, and she was going to find that man and bring him to justice. If nobody would go with her, she was going to do it alone. She was the person in the movie with true grit. It's, an, it's a great picture of what God wants us Christians to be about when we have heard his call, when we have felt his grip on our life, and then he wants us to get gritty. Let's bear down. Let's decide that we're going to do something great for God. That's what God is, is looking for in his people. He has called us to be relentless. Now there's a couple uh, who uh, will be commissioned as Converge Worldwide missionaries in uh, a month in Washington, D.C. Their names are Dan and Tina. Uh, we have a picture of them. They're in the, in the middle there. Uh, and uh, Dan and Tina uh, felt God's call to be missionaries to Nigeria. 
in a very dangerous place. And uh, they went about two months ago to see if, in fact, this was the place that God was calling them to go. So they went for a couple of weeks. In that time period, they felt like absolutely this is where God is calling us to spend the rest of our lives. And on the way back to the airport, 17-hour drive, they were assaulted by uh, robbers. The vehicle they were in was shot through with bullets. Three of them got hit. Tina got hit. And um, they were all taken to the hospital. Uh, None of them were life-threatening injuries. But it was traumatic. It was scary. And uh, it it could rattle your world a little bit. It was just a couple hours after that shooting, Dan and Tina had a chance after the commotion had ceased to look at one another and say, well, what do you think? Are we still doing this? And they both said to one another, this doesn't make one bit of difference. That's gritty. They're going back to Nigeria to serve the rest of their lives as missionaries to people who need the gospel. They're gritty because they were gripped by God. It says in uh, in, uh, this passage, Nehemiah 2 verse 1, it says, It came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. I want you to know that this is when something broke through in what Nehemiah wanted to do. But that's five months after the month of Chislev when Nehemiah first heard about the need. For five months, Nehemiah was seeking God, fasting, praying with all of his heart. That's that's gritty, folks. That's gritty. What does God want you to be gritty for? God wants you to be gritty to pursue God's plan, to sacrifice what we have to embrace what God has for us, to change your lifestyle, to live a kingdom lifestyle, He wants you to be gripped and gritty to send or to be sent. Of course, as you know, here at Heartland, all of this flows out of an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. It flows out of your intimacy with God. It is my hope that as you continue to follow Christ, You'll experience God's grip on your life in such powerful ways, and you'll be gritty for God. And that some of you who are young, some of you who are millennials, ages 12 to 20 or 12 to 30, will give your lives for the sake of the gospel. We'd love to have you become converged missionaries. It's my dream that we'll have a whole wave of missionaries who are going out to the field um, to make a difference in the world. For those of you who are baby boomers, maybe there's a new a new wave of baby boomers who go out and end their lives strong on the field because God's gripped you and you get gritty for God. May God bless you as you seek his will, as you feel his grip, grip, and as you get gritty for God. Let's have a prayer, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your amazing call on our life that you do not just make us your children, but you engage us to be in the center of the action Lord, take us and use us for your glory. Thank you that you have called us to make disciples of all nations and that we get to be a part of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, people. Give a great hand. Give a great hand for Ivan. Love you so much. Thank you for being with us.
Pastor Ivan, what is God's Spirit saying to you this morning? You know, this is so powerful because I remember when I was 17 or 18 years old sitting in a service just like